The following message was recorded at New Beginnings Church in Slidell, Louisiana. Please feel free to duplicate and share this message as you feel led. And you are invited to visit us at New Beginnings Church at 330 Robert Boulevard, Slidell, Louisiana, 70458. Our Sunday services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. If you have any questions, call us at 985-781-4663. And may God richly bless you as you listen to this message. Good to see everybody. Good to be here. Hey, Earl. Hey, good to see you, man. Um, I want to share some thoughts this morning, and then um, uh, we're going to be here again tomorrow morning. But this morning, I want to share some thoughts about praying under grace, the difference between praying under grace as opposed to praying under law, because there's a big difference, a huge difference, and I think a lot of believers, even after coming to see the grace of God and the finished work of Christ, they still sometimes have thoughts that, and they, well, they pray in ways that they used to pray under law. And they carry that over into the new covenant of grace and stay still acting and thinking in, in terms of, uh, um, of someone who's under a covenant of law as opposed to a covenant of grace. Anyway, there's a huge difference in the way we pray now under this new covenant as opposed to how people prayed under the old covenant of law. Huge difference. If you bring in that way of praying from the old covenant into the new covenant, It'll be frustrating. It will be maybe prayers are not getting answered like you think they should be answered. You, maybe you, you know, all kind of things. Um, and it's not really the enjoyable reality that it should be. So I want to share some thoughts about, about that. Praying under grace versus praying under law. Um, one thing I've pondered lately is just the whole, the whole purpose of prayer. The purpose of, is, and there are many purposes to prayer. Um, beyond just fellowshipping with God himself and being with him. But one of the main things I think prayer is all about is God wants us to be aware of the unseen reality. He wants us to look at the unseen more than the seen. Paul said, look not at the seen, but the unseen, because the seen is temporary, but the unseen is eternal. Prayer is God's way of reminding us of the unseen reality of God. Because you're praying to him who is invisible, and you're hearing from him who is invisible, and he's hearing from you, and then you're seeing things manifest in the visible because you prayed, which reinforces the reality of the unseen reality. As Jesus said, pray and ask for these things that your joy might be full. So when we ask and we pray and we commune with the Lord and we see things manifest in the physical, it brings us great joy. And what it does, it reinforces the reality of the unseen. So the more we pray rightly in terms of under grace as opposed to under law, the more we pray, the more that unseen reality becomes more and more real to us. You know that song that says, the, um, turn your eyes unto Jesus and look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Awesome song. 
And it's really true because the things of this world really grow strangely dim when you're in your spirit are beholding unseen realities in God. So that's just something to think of. That's, that's why prayer, one of the reasons prayer is just so, so important. Okay, I believe there are three things that we need to have our minds renewed to before we can even talk about praying under grace. Because these are, these are three very important things that I think if we get this right, then we will be well on our way to just stepping into a whole new experience of fellowship and praying with God and hearing from him as well as speaking to him both ways. All right, these are the three things I think that are so important. Um, it's almost like you have to be reminded of these things. You know, it's not that you haven't heard these things probably before, but one of the main works of the Holy Spirit is to bring things to our remembrance. I, I believe the two wings of the great eagle referred to in the book of Revelation, the two wings of the great eagle, the great eagle being the Holy Spirit, I believe the two wings refer to a, the revealing power of the Spirit, the, the, power, the Spirit reveals and the Spirit reminds. So by the Holy Spirit, we, can, we get revelation from God and that same Spirit reminds us of what was revealed to us. If you think about it, if you get a revelation and you're like just on fire and full of joy and, and it's amazing, changes your life and then you forget it next week. See, so it's, it's very important that we have revelation and remembrance. In fact, one of the main things the apostles taught was to remind the saints. Peter says, I put these things in remembrance to you. Jesus himself left us one thing to do over and over again, bread and wine, to remind us. Do this in remembrance that your sins are forgiven. See, he left a very important thing for us to do simply to remind us. So remembrance is powerful um, because it, it reinforces what the Spirit has already revealed. So first of, the, first of these three things I think are really important to really grasp the new way of praying under grace. First thing is this. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 39, that the Pharisees, this is John, chapter 5, verse 39, the Pharisees, uh, he said, of the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures and you think in those scriptures you have life. But they speak of me and you won't come to me that you might have life. The first thing that really has to go deep inside of us is this. It is not an it. It is a him. When I hear people talking about the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, it, 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 it is, it, you know, it sets me free. The Bible set me free. It, 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 the word of God, it, it, it's, it's great. It, it, we're missing it. God is not a book. Jesus said, you search this book and you think in this book you have life. But this book speaks of me and you won't come to me that you might have life. So the first thing we have to really get a revelation of in order to have a true prayer under grace is to know that you do not fellowship with a book. You do not get your Bible and go fellowship with your Bible. The early believers had no Bible. They had him. The Bible 
is an amazing book, obviously, and it's the Word of God. I'm not saying that it's not something you shouldn't read, obviously, because everything I say is Scripture, pretty much. So I'm all into the Scriptures, obviously, in the Bible, but I'm telling you, the Scriptures themselves say they speak of Him. Jesus Himself said, don't look to the Bible for life. Look to he, Him who is revealed in the Bible for life. It's a Him. It's a Him. The Scripture says Paul was sent to preach Him among the Gentiles, to preach Him. Jesus Himself, Jesus Himself is what's revealed in the Scriptures. This is something they did not have under law. In fact, it was hidden. They had, the, under law, the focus was the Scriptures, the Scriptures, the Scriptures. They were, they were to speak them in the morning. They were to speak them in the evening. They were to put them on their forehead. They were to write them on the walls. They were to have them in their houses and their front doors. It's the Scripture, the Scripture. And, and there was a purpose for that, to preserve the Scriptures, to honor the Scriptures and so forth. But they didn't have what you and I have now as a, a revelation of a God who has become man. God has become a man and now hidden in all those scriptures is the revelation of him. And so the revelation of Christ is where life is, not in the Bible itself. So that's, that's just so important. I, I hear sometimes on the radio preachers that will preach and, or teach or pray, and it's, it's just all about the book. And many times they very rare, rarely go beyond the book and really bring a revelation of him, of him. So that's, that's number one. I think that's so important to have this. this. When you feel you're, you're being uh, moved more to focus on the book or the scriptures itself, as opposed to him who the scriptures reveal, just let the spirit just bring you back to him. And, th th and then the scriptures come alive because it's all about him. On every page, it's about him. Um, so anyway, so that's, that's number one. Number two, <clears throat> as far as getting these things right in our thinking to pray as a new covenant person, the second thing is this. When Jesus died on the cross, the scripture says that, that the veil was rent in two when Jesus died. And Hebrews 10, 20, chapter 10, verse 20 says that his body, Jesus' body, was actually the true veil. Awesome revelation in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, that the body of Christ was actually the true veil, that the veil in the Holy of Holies in the temple was a picture, just a picture of the real veil, which was the body of Christ. Which is why when his body was rent, when he died, when he said it is finished, and when he passed away, when he died, that's when the veil was rent signifying that it was the body, the death of the body, the death of Christ himself on the cross was the real veil when the picture, of the, of the picture was ripped in two. Now, what am I saying here? What are veils for? Veils are for hiding things, covering, where you can't see behind it. Veils conceal things. When Jesus died on the cross, Scripture says that in this new covenant of grace, unlike the old covenant of law, sin was not just covered, it was taken away. Same chapter, 
chapter 10 of Hebrews. Under the old covenant, there was a constant covering of sin and thereby a constant reminder of sins under the old covenant because you never, you always had more sins to get covered. Another bull, another lamb, another goat, always covering sin but never taking it away, Hebrews says. When Jesus died, the scripture says, a great mystery took place. He who was offered as the lamb slain even before the foundation of the world in time and space offered himself up by the eternal spirit and took upon himself the sin of the world from the beginning of time till the end of time. He tasted death for every man for all sin for all time. An awesome mystery took place. Jesus called it this when he went to the cross. He said, now is the judgment of this world. I have never heard a message preached on that, even to this day. Even to this day, all these years. No one have I ever heard someone say that the cross was the judgment of the world. And yet Jesus himself said, that's what the cross was all about. Now is the judgment of the world. He will taste sin for every man. He will taste death for every man. Now is the prince of this world cast out, he said next. The accuser, the one who accuses you because of your sin. Now he shall be cast out because I will take their sin and I will take their judgment. Now is the judgment of the world. So when Jesus died on the cross and the veil was rent in two, look what the Father is saying here, saints. Your faith that he has removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, that he really has taken it away such that it will never be counted against you again, even sins you haven't committed yet tomorrow will never be counted against you again. He is saying that if you believe that he really did this, that is what opens the eyes. The veil hides, conceals. So link complete forgiveness with being able to see the unseen. That's what the Father is saying. The veil is rent because you believe that He removed your sin from us, our sin from us. If we constantly think we need further forgiveness, further cleansing, further covering, our eyes gloss over and we're unable to see and comprehend unseen realities. If we see ourselves still in our sins as believers, our eyes are unable to grasp and see beyond the veil. Corinthians says that in the reading of the Old Covenant, a veil remains on the mind even to this day to those who read the Old Covenant and don't see the finished work of Christ. A veil remains in the mind to this day. So the mind cannot be renewed to the unseen realities of a God who walks with you, talks with you, as long as you see yourself still in your sin. This is counterintuitive. This is foolishness to the natural mind. This is heresy to the religious. 
You cannot just release people from their sin. You cannot just tell them that they're forgiven even for tomorrow's sins. You cannot do that. Oh, yes, we can because God did. God has done something that the religious and the natural man cannot grasp. But to the humble who will believe him, he opens your eyes. The veil is rent because he took away our sin. And that opening remains open as we remember the truth. As Paul said so clearly, God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting our sins against us anymore. The new covenant is clear. I will be merciful to all their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. You who grasp that and believe that and rest in that and remember that, you will receive an ever-increasing opening of the eyes to the unseen reality of God. This is what is your meat and drink. This is the children's inheritance. The unseen is yours. The glory of God in the face of Christ is yours. So we focus on Jesus himself and not a book. We let the book tell us about him. In fact, the book itself says, the scriptures, the word is a light unto my path, a, a lamp unto my feet, implies that it brings us somewhere. The book is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet, taking me where? To him. Behold, I have gathered you as an eagle. I have put you like on, on an eagle, and with eagle's wings I've brought you to myself, God said. Let the scriptures come alive with him. See him. Let the Holy Spirit open the scriptures, unlock the revelation of him. Don't get bogged down in the letter. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Open your eyes to see him. Believe that he did take away your sin and my sin, and not just covered it. That the eyes might be open, that the veil may part that ever increasingly inside of us, going from faith to faith and from glory to glory, such an entrance shall be ministered to you into the kingdom of God. An unseen reality that's here now in the Spirit. He is the door. And He's opened a door that no man can shut. And those who believe enter into this other reality. The kingdom of heaven is a parallel reality in the spirit within you now. Jesus said it doesn't come like men think. It doesn't come like men think in this world. The kingdom of heaven doesn't come with, you know, it's not about Christian schools and Christian legislators and Christian judges. and Christ That's not the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, there's fruit that manifests. We have godly people doing godly things in the earth. That's absolutely, that's the fruit of this invisible reality. But that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is an invisible reality in the spirit. It's a parallel world. He says, I have come, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is not far away into the future, nor is it beyond your reach in proximity. It is here now. It was in him only until he accomplished his work and then it was given to them. The truth is among you, Jesus said. It shall be in you. And now the truth is in us. 
The, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit. Whose righteousness? His. Whose peace? His. Whose joy? His. I give you my righteousness, Jesus says. I give you my peace, not as the world gives. I give you my joy, not as the world gives. A parallel reality, the Christ himself living in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. And you in him. Amen. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The eyes are opening to this awesome reality. It's not about a book. It's about him. The book speaks of him. And we go to him that we might find life. He's life, not the scriptures. The scriptures speak of him. You search these scriptures and you think in these scriptures you have life, but they speak of me, the bread of life. Come to me that you might have life. So the person of grace has a simplicity about them. A simplicity. Paul said, I, I fear lest some of you be beguiled as Eve was from the simplicity of Christ to the knowledge of good and evil, from a focus on right and wrong and scriptures and law and letter and not him. The simplicity of Christ. God has put all wisdom in him for all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him, are hidden in him. So the foolish can say, I boast in Christ. Christ is my wisdom. But the intellect, the intellectual, those who deem themselves wise, miss it. For he has revealed these things unto babes, but hides them from those who think themselves wise and prudent. Can't be that simple. It is, it is, for all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him, and his mysterious work, the great mystery of Christ, his death and his resurrection, brought a complete termination to the, Adam the Adamic race, and in his resurrection a new creation was raised, the last Adam a new beginning, a new life. So those things, seeing Jesus in the scriptures and also seeing that his death so took our sin away that now we can veil parts and we can see unseen things more and more as we abide there, remembering, eating the bread, drinking the wine, remembering that our sins are not held against us anymore. So that when you sin now, when I sin now, you don't go through this groveling and this sense of guilt and this condemnation and this idea that I need to get this cleansed from me somehow so God will love me again. No, you simply remember the truth that I'm no longer under law but under grace and where there is no law, sin is not even imputed, that I am a new man in him, a new creation, and I give thanks to God when I sin, when I blow it, and give thanks that I'm already forgiven, and I remember the awesome grace of God, that I can come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need, 24-7, because he's already taken care of any sin that you could ever commit from beginning to the end of your life.
He offered himself up by the eternal spirit in time and space and outside of time and space, a great mystery. God in man offering himself up for all men, for all sin, for all time, Hebrew says. Not just to cover sin, but to take it away. That we might pass now through death and into life. Jesus said, he who believes on me shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death and into life. So we live now in union with him as our life. And the unseen reality begins to open up more and more. We no longer pray as one under law. We pray as one under grace. Not focusing on scriptures and laws and commandments, but focusing on him whom the scriptures speak of. Not thinking we have to continually get our forgiveness every day and get back right with God every day. Not get covered again and again as it was under the law. But we remember the great mystery of our own death through his death. For I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ, who was raised from the dead, lives in me. A whole different view of how to approach God and how to pray and how to commune with him. Completely different. Completely different. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that we should, as Christ died once, so consider yourself as having died with him once. And as Christ was raised from the dead, consider yourself as one who has been raised in him from the dead. Therefore, Paul says, live your life on earth as one who has already been raised from the dead. Think about that, saints. We just went to a very dear friend's funeral a few weeks ago. And we shared some thoughts at her funeral. And strong Christian for many years, awesome believer. And at that funeral, we said, our sister died many, many years ago. This is not the date of her death. Her body wore out. Her body is gone. But she died many years ago. When she first believed, when she first believed in Jesus, in time and space, great mystery took place. And what Messiah took, accomplished on a tree in Jerusalem many years ago became experiential in that moment when she first believed. She passed through death like a flashback of the Christ on the cross and her on the cross, she was raised in a moment by the Spirit of God and entered into a whole new world in Christ. We knew her for years, but we were interacting with one who has been, had been raised from the dead the whole time. The whole time we had friendship with this sister we had friendship with a person who had already been raised from the dead. That is you. And when your body dies and we celebrate your life at your funeral, that's not the day you die. Jesus said, he who believes on me has already passed through death and into life 
and shall never die again. That's how you and I are to live every day. It's the reality of the mystery of Christ. It's what He accomplished. It's rich. It's rich. No matter what your body feels like, the aches, the hurts, this body's going to wear out. But you are ageless. Ageless. That which is unseen is eternal. So awesome. So prayer under grace is a whole different way of looking at things. And the last thing I want to share with you as far as this third thing, seeing Jesus in the scriptures and not just the scriptures, seeing that his death removed our sin, that the veil might be rent and our eyes might be open to see unseen realities. Remember, link, God links complete forgiveness, a complete taking away of sin with seeing. That's why Peter said, if you see a brother who's not bearing fruit, if he's like so wrapped up in the flesh and he's not bearing fruit, Peter said, that brother is either blind or or nearsighted, having forgotten that he was once purged from all his sin. You see how awesome that is? The apostle Peter did not say, If you see a believer not bearing fruit and who's tangled up in his flesh, the the Apostle Peter did not say that that brother must have unconfessed sin in his life. That is bogus. That is not the truth. What is true, Peter says, is that brother has become nearsighted, maybe even blind, to the one fact that Peter brings up, that he was once purged from all his sin. How counterintuitive is that? You tell someone, you tell a believer who's in sin, who's in the bondage of the the flesh, you tell him, brother, you need to see that you have been completely forgiven and your sins that you're committing right now are not even being held against you by God. Can you see that, brother? Because if you can see that, brother... There'll be an explosion on the inside of you and the Spirit of God will fill you with His life and that life will put to death the deeds of the body. Awesome! It's the the way of God. It's the wisdom of God that religion doesn't get and will never get. It's the wisdom that natural man seems, says it's foolishness. But it's the wisdom of God. Come to me. Come to me, Peter. Walk on the water. Come to me. But that doesn't make sense, God. Come to me. Awesome. So the last thing, I was going to read, I had a bunch of scriptures I'm going to read, but I think that might be too much. There's a lot of scriptures I wanted to read in the Gospel of John. That is so, so awesome that I wanted to talk. I think I'll just touch on it, and then maybe we'll speak more about it maybe tomorrow. But there are two scriptures 
in the, in the Bible that I believe are the most misunderstood and mistaught of all the scriptures in the Bible. Two. The first one is 1 John 1, 9, which is what we've been talking about, this whole concept of think, thinking you have to confess your sins and name your sins to stay forgiveness and stay right with God. 1 John 1, 9 is one of the most misunderstood, mistaught verses in all the Bible because it's not talking about that at all. It's just a simple verse that says, if you will admit that you're a sinner and that you have sin, that you have sinned, and you'll agree with God that you are a sinner, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Cleanse all unrighteousness. So 1 John 1, 9 is a simple verse that tells you to believe and be, be forgiven. It's not, a, it's not a bar of soap for the Christian to keep clean. 1 John 1, 9 is the most misunderstood, most mistaught verse in all of the Bible, and it keeps Christians in misery. Because it keeps Christians in a self-sin consciousness that the true gospel totally obliterates. Sin consciousness is all about the law. The scripture says, the worshipers having once been cleansed should no longer have any consciousness of sin, Hebrews says. Doesn't mean you don't know when you sin and you walk after the flesh. But you have no more consciousness of guilt. Because a higher law has superseded the conscience. You have a good conscience, Hebrew says now, because of a higher word than your own conscience. For God who knows all things has said you are forgiven if you have your faith in Christ. The conscience only responds to what you do. The Spirit reveals who you are. And the Spirit will reveal who you are through what Christ did, and that supersedes the conscience so that you're not in condemnation anymore. Because if you think you have to perform to live free of condemnation, you don't get it, and you'll never see it. If you think you have to perform in order to stay free from condemnation, you're not seeing the gospel. You may be born of the Spirit, you may be, but you... You've slipped into Galatianism. You've slipped into a mixture of law and grace. You've slipped into a prayer under law as, to, as opposed to prayer under grace. You've come, you've, you've, you're like that brother Peter was talking about who's nearsighted and maybe even blind, having forgotten, he's a brother, having forgotten that he was once cleansed from all his sin. I remember talking to a brother several years ago who was, who was a awesome Christian brother, but he was getting off into some fleshly things, and he was kind of growing cold spiritually and, you know, getting off into some things. And every time I talked to him, I just remind him of who he was. I would just say, yeah, but look at this. Look at this in Ephesians. This is awesome. You're with Christ now, seated with him. And I just kept feeding the truth to him and reminding him of who he was so his eyes would open, restoring the faith. You who see a brother trapped in a fleshly sin, you who are spiritual, go to him. Please, people who are still under the law in their thinking, don't go to him. Those, Paul says, you who are spiritual, you who understand the new covenant of grace, you who live by the spirit, not the letter that kills, don't, you go to him, but don't send somebody who lives by the letter that kills, he'll, they'll kill him. 
They'll drive him further into the flesh. The scripture says the law is the strength of sin. I've never heard that preached. Well, actually a few times. But that's never preached. The law is the strength of sin. Because why? It is not a faith. The law is not a faith. What releases the life is faith. It's awesome. So anyway, after sharing with this brother, just encouraging him, gradually you could see his eyes opening up again to the unseen things of God, the goodness of God. And then before long, he was telling me things on the phone, like, God, look at this in Galatians. This is awesome. And I was like, bingo. He's back. He's back. You who are spiritual, restore a brother, considering your own self, lest you be tempted. In other words, with humility, realizing you could be in that same place. With all humility, considering your own self, not coming from your high horse to tell them that they need to get their life right, or not even coming from your high horse that they need to see these revelations either, but just a humility that says, I could be at that same place. For we all stumble in many ways, James says, the flesh is the flesh. And I don't care how long you walk with God as a believer, you still have the power of sin in your mortal body till you put off this mortal body. And it's the power of the life of Christ that puts to death the deeds of the body. And what happens is we grow in faith, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. We have such a strong relationship with God that the power of the life pulsating through you is like an oak tree whose roots go down deep. It's like a, a river, a mighty river that gets wider and wider and wider. And you sin less and less and less. And I mean, it's like a, amazing. The fruit comes forth just like God intended. But if you stumble and fall, there's grace, and we learn from it. Sometimes we stumble and fall because God's preparing us to help somebody else so that we can share with them the comfort by which we were comforted, that we can share with them the comfort you got when he showed that grace to you. See, it's all so cool. All things work together for good to those who have believed on him. We have such hope. But anyway, this last thing, and we'll talk maybe more later about it, but two things, two verses, most misunderstood, mistalked. Number one, 1 John 1, 9. That's for another time maybe, but the second verse is this verse that says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. That verse in John chapter 14 is, I believe, the second most misunderstood, mistaught verse in the entire Bible. Jesus spoke those words in the upper room at the Last Supper, describing to them that he was about to suffer and die. He talked to them about the Spirit coming, and he said to them, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places, that the Greek word says, not mansions. That Greek word is translated everywhere else in the Bible as dwelling places, not mansions. That was done by King James back when the peasants needed to have some hope to keep them under their thumb. They used the word mansion to give the peasants hope that they were going to die and have a mansion in heaven one day. We still sing songs about God building us a mansion in heaven. It's totally bogus. Yes, 
heaven's going to be awesome. I'm not saying that. But that's not what Jesus is saying there. He's not saying that he's going to prepare a place and be gone for 2,000 years to make you a mansion or whenever, so that whenever you die, you can enjoy the mansion. He's not saying that. And when you read John 14, 15, and 16, you can see what he's saying. It's so awesome. It's hidden there. But it's so clear. What he's saying that in that upper room was that he's saying, I'm going to go away for a little while, and you're not going to see me, and you're going to be sad, and the world's going to rejoice. But after a little while, you'll see me again. Three days. Three days. Three days. After a little while, three days. How long did it take for him to prepare a place for you to dwell in the Father's house? Three days. days. He said, destroy this house and I will raise it up again in three days in John chapter 2. They said, how can you do that? It took 40 years to build this temple. Scripture says, not knowing he was referring to his body. He raised it up in three days. The Father's house is Christ himself. He is the Father's house. And he raised up uh, the new house in three days and three nights. And there are many dwelling places in that, that house, he said, because of what he did. You have become living stones in that house. Now, not when you die, not when your body dies. You are a living temple on the earth now. A living, breathing temple, living stones in the The true house of God, not made with brick and stone, but the Son Himself raised up Himself and made it possible that many can dwell within Him. In that day, He said, you will know that I am in my Father and my Father is in me. And now I am in you and you are in me. He did it. He prepared a place within Himself in three days and three nights. For what purpose? That you might be where He is. Seated with Him. Together with Him in heavenly places now. This is awesome. You are where He is. And He is where you are. You sit in that chair, and He sits in that chair in you. You sit in the heavens in Him now. This is what must be revealed by the Holy Spirit for us to truly pray under grace. Your union with Him. There is no barrier. There is no such thing as a brass ceiling that you have to pray through. There is no such thing as being far away from God if you are in Him. For your life is now, Paul says, hidden with Christ inside of God. Inside the Father. You have been called into the fellowship of the Father and the Son. Now, you walk the earth as one who has already been raised from the dead, having passed through death. Joined to the risen Christ. You have boldness beyond anything. Wisdom beyond your years. Christ is your wisdom. You walk in confidence and in peace and in joy. And your prayer under this grace is amazing. 
But we have access now to the Father through Christ by one spirit 24-7. He hears us. And if we know He hears us, we know we have the things we have asked. He has every intention of granting your request. That's your Father. Awesome! But you see how we can get muddled in our thinking and see ourselves as earthbound, in the flesh still, separated from God, under condemnation, and miss the glory of this reality. And just to wrap it up, just some practical things that God has shown me about praying under grace is, first of all, having these things, these things of the Spirit. These are things of the Spirit that I feed on. These things of the Spirit I feed on so that I can step into that other realm to my Papa. And some of the things that he's taught me to do is I like to just sit quietly. I like to be alone sometimes and pray. I think that's very important to make time to be alone, to be quiet. He has taught me when I first go to him to first let him love on me before I do anything, before I say anything, before I ask anything. First, allow him to love you. That's how the son lived. The son yearned to go out and sit under the stars and be loved by the father. He missed him. Be still and be quiet and let him love on you and ponder these things. One of the promises of the new covenant of grace, the promise that you can, you can hold by faith in, is that in this new covenant, they will no longer be like under the old covenant where they had to teach men about God, teach them this, teach them that. They will no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, because they will all know me who are in this covenant. For as the scripture says, they shall all be taught by God. One of your promises, one of our promises in the new covenant is that God teaches you directly. You can hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. So in that stillness and quietness, because you're a son of Abraham, you're a daughter of Abraham of faith, you can hear the voice who made the stars. My sheep know my voice. And then from that point, have fun. <laughs> have fun fellowshipping with your God. Have fun fellowshipping with the Lord. Enjoy the Lord. Enjoy Him. Enjoy the Lord. Enjoy Him. Enjoy Him. He's awesome. Let Him look into your eyes. You look into His eyes. 
See what he'll tell you. You know, you even see this. We recently saw the movie Risen, the movie Risen. And I recommend that movie, by the way. It's a, it's a good movie. There's some things I would do different in the movie, but everybody, you know. But I'm not going to criticize someone who's at least trying to get the, the truth out there. And it's, it's a good movie. But just to show how we are so missing this on these, this scripture about him preparing a place for us, in that movie, at the ascension, at the scene of the ascension, at the end of the movie, they have Jesus quoting that verse that he said back in the upper room. At the ascension, they have him quoting that verse saying, I go to prepare a place for you. Because that's what the church believes. I'm telling you, saints, this is huge. This is huge. I bet, like George and I were talking, I bet 90% of believers, 90%, I bet believers believe when Jesus said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you that you may be where I am. I shall, I shall come again to receive you unto myself that you may be where I am. 90% of believers believe he's talking about his second coming, coming back his second coming. It's horrible. The enemy has blinded us to this awesome truth. We even put it in the movie at the wrong place. He said it before his death. He said it in the upper room. Because he was going to come back in a little while. He's not going to leave me. I will not leave you as orphans. I, I, you have heard me say, I am leaving and I'm coming back again. I tell you, I will not leave you as orphans. I shall come again. And you shall see me and you shall rejoice. He's talking to them in that room. Not 2,000 years. Three days and three nights. And the Holy Spirit shall be given and you shall know all things. And the Spirit shall show you all things that belong to me. You see it? I'm telling you, this is huge. We need to take the banter, take the torch, and help believers see this. Even in the movie, we put the verse at, at the end, because that's what we believe. That he's still working on some mansion. He made the universe in six days, for crying out loud. <laughs> he's not up there working on some mansion. In three days and three nights, he raised the house of God, the house of the Father, which is himself, and placed you in him, a living stone and him in you. Father, that they may know that I am in you and you are in me, that they may be one with us, I in them and they in me. That they may be where I am, Father, John 17. That they may behold my glory. Do you realize you can behold the glory of God now in the Spirit? Paul says we now behold the glory of God in the face of Christ by the Spirit. How much have we been robbed by wrong thinking. This is huge. Do you see right now what the Spirit is doing right now at this moment? You and I are being elevated. The unseen has become so real to you sitting here. Your eyes are glassing over. They are. Do you feel it? Do you feel that truly the world around you is growing strangely dim, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. This is a reality. The Spirit wants us to see these things and experience these things so that we can walk in confidence as the righteousness of God in Christ. Not our righteousness, His righteousness. Not our peace, His peace. This is the glad, merry news that turned the world upside down. 
Religion can't touch this. Bring the torch. Raise it high. Lift high the word of this life. In a very dark world that needs to know that he is not only just among us, he is in us. He did it. He did it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I encourage you to go back and read John 14, 15, and 16, and 17, which is the grand conclusion. <laughs> and see how he talks about he's going to be gone just for a little while. And then when he comes back, they're going to be totally different people because I have, would have prepared the place for you so now you can be where I am. This is what Paul saw. Paul said, we are now seated with him in heavenly places. We are now with him. He's with us. Oh, my gosh. That's why Paul could just see and believe for miracles and see things, and God could lead him, and hear, he could hear the voice of God. I mean, this is true Christianity. This is what he died for. Not this sweet by and by stuff only. Yes, there's a heaven. Yes, he's coming back at his, uh, his second coming. I'm not saying he's not coming back physically. Yes, he's coming back. Yes, he's coming back physically in his second coming. But you know what he says? When I return, shall I find faith on the earth? Shall I find someone who believed that I really did it? Yes, he's coming back. But we don't have to wait till the second coming to enjoy the place he's prepared for us in himself that we might be where he is now and he where we are. Lo, I am with you always, he says, even until the end of the world. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Such hope, no matter what's going on in our lives. In the world, we shall have trouble. Jesus said, in the world, we shall have tribulation. But you be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. And when I overcame this world, I took you with me. You're in me now. Your life is hidden with me in God, and I'm in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Be of good cheer. I am with you always. Hear my voice. Pray under grace, not under law. Be still. Behold the salvation of God. Be quiet in spirit. Listen for the still small voice. Behold your king. And see what he will say. My sheep know my voice. And they will not follow a stranger. Amen. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, take these words, I pray. May they bear much fruit. Those who watch by internet, those who will listen to this later, may these words be rich in their heart. May many see that you did indeed prepare a place for us in yourself in three days and three nights and that we are now where you are and you are where we are. Help us see these spiritual things, Lord. What an awesome covenant. What a great covenant. Thank you, King. Thank you, our King. Thank you, O King. Thank you, Lord.
And I pray against the enemies, the enemies of our soul that would steal this word. I pray against the buzzards and the ravens and those that try to steal this revelation from the hearts of your people. I stand against the ravens and the buzzards and the demonic forces that try to hide this truth. And I release your life and your blessing on your people, Lord. May your life live big in them. And may their eyes be opened beyond the veil to see beyond the veil things they, never, they only dreamed of. May they see your goodness and see that your mercy endures forever. For it is true. It's all true. It's all true. For you are good. And your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, James. Hallelujah.